Well, turn in your Bibles. You can just turn to 1 Corinthians 15 if you want to. We're looking at the life and ministry of Paul, and now we're seeing, you know, he's a great man, a man used by God to take the message uh, of Jesus Christ to the world. We said this, that he wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. He went on all those missionary journeys, three missionary journeys. His life was amazing. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen the very end part, that he was finally in Rome, he was released, and then his final rest and his death. And one of the key things we have to remember is that God, through the Holy Spirit, used Paul to give what we call direct revelation. We call it the Bible. And so God used Paul to write 13 letters of the New Testament. And not only do we get information there, but we get, you might say, the theology. I want you to notice something. First, Second Peter 1 says, first of all, know this at all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. I mean, some person didn't just sit down and say, I'm going to write this. For no prophecy is ever made by the act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's what we have, the Scripture. God moved people to give us his written revelation. Now, he used their personalities. He used their vocabularies. Uh, let me just give you a quick example. You've got Matthew and Luke and John, just, just those three. Think of those three Gospels. Well, they're all giving information about Jesus Christ, but they're totally different. Uh, Matthew, uh, his background, he's writing about the king. But Luke is a doctor. He uses terms that nobody else uses. John was a fisherman. John writes the simplest of anybody in the Scripture. That's why it, when you, if you go to seminary, if you're trying to learn the, the Greek, you're going to always study the Gospel of John first because that's the simplest Greek because that's how it's written. So God took people's personalities, their vocabularies, and took his word and put it down using that personalities and vocabularies, but giving us exactly what God wanted us to have. And that's what we're looking at when we think about the life of Paul. And uh, so uh, what, what did he say? What did he do? Well, I teach a class, most of you know, starting in just a couple of weeks uh, called the 2-2. It's based on 2 Timothy 2-2, which basically says, it, take the things you've been taught and trust these to other people and, and so that they can teach others. And I love teaching it. I've taught it, golly, maybe 30 years and it's my favorite thing to teach. And if you hadn't ever, if you have had it, but maybe it's been a good while, take it again because it's the kind of things you need to go over and over and over again. That's why people ask me, do you, you teach this every other year? Do you get tired of teaching it? No, I never get tired of teaching it. I love it. It's really theology. It's what the Bible talks about salvation and Christian life and end times and all those things. And how does it all fit together? Well, Think about some of the things we believe. Where did we get those? Well, we got those from those 13 letters, those 13 letters that Paul wrote. And, and so what we're going to do in the next two weeks, this week and next week, we're going to look at these subjects that Paul wrote on. He wrote about the gospel and salvation and eternal life and the church and the Christian life and spiritual gifts and end-time events and all of those kind of things. We're going to talk about that. We're going to look. What it, because when you say, we say, we believe that, there, how many of you believe there's going to be a rapture, Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds and going to take us out of there? Where'd you get that? You get that from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's just one of the places. But that's Paul wrote that in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be talking about some of the things. And so these are the areas, the gospel sites. And you say, oh, I, I know the gospel. What did Paul say the gospel was? What did Paul say about salvation? What did Paul say about eternal life? What did Paul say about the church and the Christian life and spiritual gifts and end times? All of those kind of things. We're going to see that. So let's start, and we're going to look at this. The first three go together. So we're going to see the first three all at the same time. Very simply put, 
If you grasp this, you are way ahead of 99.9% of all people in the world. Because this is the basic truths of the scripture. This is what Paul wrote, but it's basic truths of the gospel, of salvation, and eternal life. And so we're going to look at those things. And look at this, the gospel message. Simply put, the gospel message is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now think about it. The response is to believe in him, and the offer is eternal life. Now let me remind you of what I just said. The gospel message is that Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again. The response to that message is to believe in him. And what are we believing in him for? He's made an offer. The offer is eternal life. I want you to think about that. I have people say to me, you need to believe Jesus died and rose again and you'll be saved. You're not saved by believing that Jesus died and rose again. Jesus died and rose again for every human being. He did that for every human being. There are people who believe Jesus died and rose again, and they believe that you have to do good works to go to heaven. Salvation is not by believing in the death and resurrection of Christ. Salvation is by believing in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's what his offer is. He is offering to us the gift of eternal life. So let's, let's start, and let's look first at the gospel. It's called the good news. The good news, the word gospel means good news. There's a number, by the way, there's, there's, a, there's a, in a part in the book of Revelation called the eternal gospel. And then there's the gospel of the kingdom. And then there is the gospel that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians. And where he says, I make known to you the gospel. So the word gospel just means good news. And every time you see the word gospel, it doesn't always mean exactly the same thing. You have to see the context. So we're going to talk about what does Paul mean by this gospel when we're talking about the gospel dealing with salvation. Well, what does Paul teach concerning the gospel message? Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, and which you stand. He said, here's the gospel, and then he gives us the information. For I deliver you as first importance, which I also received, that what? Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture, that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day, according to the Scripture. So what exactly is the gospel message? Is that Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again to conquer death. That is the gospel message. That's the good news message. If somebody said to you, tell them the gospel, you would tell them that Jesus died and rose again that he died to pay for sin and rose to conquer death. And by the way, he died to pay for the sin of every person, 1 John 2, 2. He rose from the grave to conquer death for every person, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. So understand that the death and resurrection of Christ paid for every sin and conquered death for every person. That's not salvation, by the way, though. Because every human being is going to be raised from the dead. Some to be raised forever to be with Jesus Christ. Some to be separated. So death and resurrection, uh, the payment for sin. And, and by the way, people don't go to the lake of fire because of their sins. The sins have been paid for by every person. Now, see, for some, you may be thinking, I never heard this before. For most of you in this room, since we've thought this over and over, you do know this. But see, you got a whole world of people thinking people go to hell because of their sins. People go to hell because they didn't believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. You understand that? It's that simple. And so when Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin, he did that for every person. When he rose from the grave, he conquered death for every person. Okay? With that in mind, 
Yeah, and so why, why did he leave? The, why, did he, so why did he die? Why did he come become a human being? So he could die and pay for sins. Philippians 2, 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So that's why Jesus came, to die on the cross to pay for sins. And so the gospel is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we talk about this being a salvation message. This is a message that Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Okay, so this is the message, but there's more to this for the salvation. This is what Jesus did. So then what is the response to the gospel? It is to believe. Now, we're going to look carefully. It's not to believe that he died and rose again. Now, he did that, and you need to understand that, and you need to believe that, but that's not the salvation belief. Notice this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God's salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's, all, it's always faith. The gospel message brings salvation how? And it's by faith. Notice, for by grace... You have been saved through what? Through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of results with no man may boast. Let me show you something. We say it's by faith. I've had a person say, well, you need to give your life to Jesus to be saved. That's not faith. That's works. Is salvation a swap process? I give him my life. He gives me eternal life. I thought it was by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. I agreed, I, 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 I'm going I'm to serve God. That, that's not salvation. That's works. Salvation is not by works. Remember we said that salvation is a gift and rewards are works? They're two different things. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that what? It's not of yourself. It's the what? You have to go, what do you got to do to get a gift? Absolutely nothing. In fact, if you do something for a gift, it is no longer a gift. It's not, that's right. It's not a result of words. No one, result of words, nobody could boast. Look at this one. We maintain that a man is justified how? That justified means to be declared right, as justified by faith. How? Apart from the works of the law. You've got many people every Sunday presenting to people a works-based salvation. Make him Lord of your life. Give your life to Jesus. Be sure and do good works. Turn from your sin. Make a public profession. Walk down an aisle. Get baptized. All of those things they're asking people to do in order to be saved when those are all works that have nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is a gift. We're justified by faith. Romans 4, 5, but the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Look at this one. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, you're not declared right with God by the works of the law, but how? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Even we, Paul's writing this, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by, justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Why? Because by the works of the law, nobody can be justified. Why can't you be justified by the works of the law? Why? You can't keep the law. How many of the Ten Commandments have you broken? I've broken every one of them. You said, you murdered? No, but I hated. And Jesus said, if you hate, that's murder. I lied. I may be lying right now. You never know. <laughs> See, you can't be justified by the works of the law. Why? Because you can't keep the law. You can't obey. You, we all sin and come short of the glory of God. Salvation is by faith. So the gospel message is Jesus' death and resurrection, and the response is to believe. But to believe what? What's the offer? 
The offer is eternal life. Understand that the offer is we believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. It is that simple. I know that that's, could be a little confusing because some people have never even heard that. They've heard you just believe in him to save you somehow. And wh- what does that mean? We don't know. Is salvation eternal life? Is salvation just going to heaven? What, what, what is it? What is it? It's, it's the offer is eternal life. The offer is to get eternal life. Notice this. Paul writes and says, and see, we're doing Paul. This is, everything is Paul because we're looking at Paul's theology. What does he say? Yet for this reason, I found mercy, mercy from God, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is going to use Paul that he might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example, Paul says, I'm going to be an example of those who would believe in him for what? Eternal life. What did Paul say he believed in Christ for? Eternal life. What do you believe in Jesus for? Eternal life. That's salvation. Jesus died and rose again, and he offers to you a gift. The gift is eternal life, and it comes simply by faith. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would never perish but get what? What's the offer? Eternal life. You don't want to be confused because the message is confused in a lot of places and that's why people are mixed up. That's why they're mixed up. Look at this right here. So that as sin reigned into death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what we get, eternal life life. So John three sixteen, God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his only begotten son, gave him to what? To die and rise again, that whosoever would believe in him would never perish, but have what? Eternal life, everlasting. That's it, y'all. It's that simple. Most of us in this room know this. Most of us in this room, it is not something new. For some in this room, you may say, I don't think I've ever even heard this before. I've never heard it put like that. When you turn on the radio or television or something and you see people offering a salvation message, well, most of the time, it's not the death and resurrection of Christ. The the gospel is not the death and resurrection. Sometimes they'll say Jesus died on the cross. They don't usually say he died and rose again. And then when they get to the the offer, the offer is not eternal life. In fact, we're not even sure what the offer is. And then when you say, is it faith? Well, it's give your life, walk down an aisle, make him Lord, repent of your sins, make a public profession, get baptized. It's all of those things. But it's not believing him for eternal life. What should we do? Believe in him for eternal life. And is, that, is it that simple? Are we wrong? No, we're not. It is that simple. That salvation is a gift by faith alone and Christ alone for eternal life. That's the message. And so we can say Jesus died and rose again. And he offers the gift of eternal life which comes simply by faith. So Paul clearly proclaims the gospel message, the death and resurrection of Christ. He clearly proclaims the response which is by faith to believe. And he clearly responds to the offer which is eternal life. So how do you present the gospel? We've got a 412 study that, that Brian teaches, and um, we talk about different ways to share your faith and those kind of things. That is a bad news, good news, and all those things. But uh, one of the ways we put down is what we call just the one verse, the John 3.16. And 
you, everyone in this room, every one of us in this room, if I said, walk up in here and don't be too embarrassed, but just present, say John 3.16. Every one of us in this room could probably say John 3.16. Well, if you can say John 3.16, you can share your faith with anyone. And you can tell them that God so loved the world that he gave his son to die and rise again, that whoever would believe in him would never perish, but have what? Everlasting life, eternal life. There it is right there. There it is. The gospel, salvation, eternal life all comes together right there. So if you know John 3.16, you can share your faith clearly. You don't add anything to it. You don't get confused. You don't have to say, walk down an aisle, give your life to Jesus, repent of your sins, turn away from your sins, whatever all that means. Whatever all these things mean, because even people say repent of sins, and, and we say, well, show me that in Scripture. And the truth is, if you have a New American Standard uh, an NIV, a, a, a old King James or a new King James, the, repent of sin is never in the Scripture at all. Now, some of the newer translations take the word metaneo, which means to repent, and they actually translate it repent of sins, which is not what it says in Scripture. So be real careful because somebody's going to come up to you with an NLT, a New Living Translation, and they're going to say, look right here, it says repent of sins. And you say, take them, bring them to me, I'll take them to the original language, and I'll say the word of sin is not there at all. So you got to be real careful because there are people who put together Scripture who there are some modern translations out there that actually add to the Scripture that, that isn't in the original language. And you got to be real careful on that. Real careful. That's why I stick with some of the solid translations, New American Standard. NIV is okay. I call it the needs improvement version, but it's still a really, it's really a good one. And the old King James and the new King James are not bad at all. Uh, just got to recognize there's some parts. But that's in any translation, in any translation. Let me look at the time. Okay, we got just a few minutes. Let's do this. This is Paul's teaching about the church. So let me just remind you, the church. And, and what did Paul say about the church? Well, the church, first of all, the church and the nation of Israel are two different things. By the way, we live in a culture that about 90% of all denominations and churches in the world believe that the church has replaced Israel. It's called replacement theology. And they believe that God is through with Israel and they're gone and the church has taken their place. That's wrong. And the church and the nation of Israel are two different things. The church has not replaced Israel. And so when we talk about the church, Paul talked about it. He calls it the body of Christ. He says that he's put all things in subjection under his feet. That's God. Gave him a head over all things to the church, which is his body. Jesus is the head over the church, which is called the body of Christ. He put that there. And then when, when Jesus is the head of the church, and when we are believers, we get placed in Christ. For by one spirit, we are all baptized. The word baptized means in union. By one spirit, we're all in union into one body, whether you're Jew or Greek, whether you're slave or free, all made to drink one spirit, for one body is not, for the body is not one member, but many. We're all placed in the body of Christ. That's what Paul wrote. He said, when you're, as a believer, you're placed in the body of Christ. The moment a person believes. Now remember, I'm going back again, that the church and Israel are two separate things. We could do, we could do a three or four week study on the difference between the nation of Israel and the church. If you take the 2-2, two -two, I've got a whole lesson dealing with the contrast between the church and the nation of Israel. And there's some people who say that God is through with Israel, not if you read Romans chapter 11. It says, has God cast away his people? No way. We all know. What's the next event we're looking for? 
the rapture and the church is going to be taken out, who's going to, who, there's going to be a time of tribulation. Who's going to be the main players in the time of tribulation? The nation of Israel. At the beginning of the tribulation, 12,000. Uh, it'd be 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes are going to believe in Jesus Christ and begin to proclaim the message. That's during the tribulation. God is not through with his people. They're his people. Now, we are the church, the body of Christ. That's what Paul wrote. We all based in one body. Church was a mystery. By the way, if you read the Old Testament, we're never there. We're never there. There's not anything about us. Paul writes this, that my revelation was made known to me, the sons of men, and now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets and spirit. To be specific, Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the body of Christ and partakers of the promise of Jesus Christ through the gospel. And he says that this was this mystery. In fact, the um, verse three, 3 was really left off that, but it says that my revelation was made known to me the mystery that I wrote before. And Paul had written earlier about the mystery that the church had been hidden the information that God was going to bring together the body of Christ. I know time is almost over, but let me remind you of something. Do you know what was supposed to happen? You understand that the promise from Adam and Eve to, to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac Jacob, to David, all the way up was a coming Messiah, the Savior of the world. He would be Jewish. He'd be born of, the, uh, of a virgin. He'd be from the tribe of David. He'd be born in Bethlehem, be a tribe of Judah. And at exactly the right time, Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son. Jesus Christ came. And if you read carefully the scripture, especially Matthew, Jesus Christ came and offered himself to the nation of Israel as the Messiah and the Savior of the world. That's his offer. If you read Matthew... And Jesus sends out his 12, and then he sends out 70. And what does he tell them? Go to no one except the house of Israel. And you could look at that and say, that doesn't seem fair. No, no, no. Jesus came as the Messiah and the Savior, and he's the King of the Jews, and he offered himself to the nation of Israel as the Messiah and the Savior. He offered himself to the Jewish people. When he comes in on the, uh, riding on the donkey, on uh, what, you know, coming into Jerusalem, uh, in Matthew, and he's coming in, and they're all saying, Hosanna, save us, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here is the Messiah and the Savior, and they rejected him. And Jesus actually said, what a sad day. They missed my visitation. They missed me coming. What was supposed to happen is that the nation of Israel would believe in the Messiah and crucify him in belief because the Old Testament said that the Messiah would die for the sins of the world. Do you understand that? The, Jesus Christ has to die and pay for sin. That's what Isaiah promised. That's what all the Old Testament prophecies were about. The Messiah is going to come and die and pay for the sins of the world. What was supposed to happen, if everything would have happened good, the nation of Israel would have accepted him as the Messiah, crucified him in belief. He raises from the dead. He becomes the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and Jesus Christ rules the world. There also had to be a tribulation because it talked about it. But there wouldn't be a what? There wouldn't be a church. Do you realize that? We're the mystery. We're not missed it. But when the nation of Israel rejected the Messiah... God then, as he says in Romans, has set aside Israel 
and he has formed the body of Christ made up of Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And the church is now the body of Christ, and we have the responsibility to proclaim the message of Christ until Jesus comes and does what? The rapture, he comes and takes out who? Who does he come get? The church, we're gone. Who does he go back and say, okay, Israel, you've been set aside. I'm now putting you back. And that's why there's 144,000 Jews at the beginning of the tribulation. That's their responsibility then. We were a mystery. So you go to the Old Testament and say, where's the church mentioned in the Old Testament? It is not mentioned at all. That's why Paul says it had been not revealed. It says now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles and the Jews are in the same body. That's the body of Christ, which is the church. So that's kind of extra stuff today. But let me tell you, that, that's, that's it. And most people have never understood that or even studied it. That's why you need to take 2-2 and 4-12 and those classes and, and newness of life. That's why you need to do these classes so you can start grasping how the Bible fit together. And so we're in the church age, and one of these days, Jesus is going to come get us. And by the way, we're going to talk about that because, remember, that's in Paul's theology. And today, all we're talking about is the church and that. So Jews and Gentiles together, the body of Christ. What's the plan of the church? Look what it is. For the equipment of the saints, for the work of the service, for the building up of the body of Christ. We use our gifts, talents, and abilities to build each other up. So we have seen this morning the gospel, the salvation message, the eternal life. They all flit together. And we talked about the church, the body of Christ. Now, we're not into any details. Good gracious I mean, if we wanted to talk about the church, we've got studies on the church, which are 20 and 30 lessons uh, in time events. By the way, I'm thinking very seriously that when we finish 2 Samuel and the first part of 1 Kings, which is going to be just the first 11 chapters, I think we're going to go ahead and do the book of Revelation. Would y'all want that? Because in end times, everybody's talking about the end times. Well, the book of Revelation gives us the details of the end times. Now, when you study end times, you can't just study Revelation. You're going to have to study 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians and Zechariah and Isaiah and, and Daniel, and we're going to have to put all those together. Now, we did a study in Grow Group called The Seven Last Things of Revelation. We did that, and that was only the last part of the book of Revelation. So this time, I'm thinking on Sunday morning, we might do the whole book of Revelation. Would y'all want that, or would y'all want something else? I mean, I, I, I'm thinking about it, unless y'all tell me no, unless somebody comes and says, oh, we don't want that, I probably, probably want to do it. Now, it's not easy. It's one of the hardest books because it's apocalyptic literature, which means there's a lot of things in there that are true, but he uses, uh, you know, a sword comes out of his mouth, right? And this and this, there'll be this. And so you say, what's literal, what's not literal? How does it fit together? Let me tell you, the events are all literal. They just now may be described in ways so that we can understand it. So there's some good things. How'd that get off on that? Anyway, so that's what we're doing. So let's talk about our applications. Let's know what we believe and why we believe it. I mean, look what we said. Look, what, what, do you know what you believe? Be ready to give an answer to everyone. If somebody starts asking you questions about the end times, or somebody asks you questions about salvation, or somebody asks you questions about the church, or, or do you know what to say? Do you know how the Bible fits together? And if you say, well, I'm not sure, then you need to be taking these classes for sure. Okay? Second is let's be ready to share our faith. And listen, all you have to know is John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his son, that's the death and resurrection, that whosoever would believe in him, that's faith alone, Christ alone, would never perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. Be ready to share. That's it. 
Whoever believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life, but they're trusting in him for the promise. What's the promise? That he gives eternal life. How can he guarantee eternal life for us? Because he died and rose again as God's Messiah and Savior. See, that's, what, that's the good news. That's what he did. And then here's his offer. His offer is eternal life, which comes by faith. So let's try not to confuse it. Let's understand the church, different from the nation of Israel. It's made as the body of Christ. Believers are in union with Christ, and believers are equipped other believers to do the ministry.